Hello, and welcome to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And this week we are taking our first big foray into the shot-for-shot remake world with Gus Van Sant's 1998 adaptation of Psycho, a film which needs no introduction. The film stars Vince Vaughn, Anne Hesch, Viggo Mortensen, Julianne Moore, and William H. Macy. And it's still weird to say, this week we watched a shot-for-shot remake of Psycho. I still find it strange that someone was like, yeah, sure, I'll take on one of the most iconic and beloved films ever made and just kind of do it again. I feel like that's a really bold choice to make. Um, But before we get into that, Liam, I know you and I kind of have probably a similar relationship with this film if you want to get into your familiarity with this version of Psycho and also the original one. Yeah, dude. My familiarity with Psycho, most of my life was just uh, cultural references and stuff, you know, like I and I had seen that closing monologue and heard it, uh, you know, parodied in in various things. Um, I think South Park was actually the first time I remember uh, seeing something that kind of followed it note for note. And I was like blown away at this twist ending of South Park where um, it's revealed that the villain of the episode is is the same as a person you're supposed to trust. And at the time, I kind of knew it was a psycho reference, but but I remember still being astounded um, just by that episode. And I was like, hey, I bet this is how people watching Psycho 50 years felt, but I'm getting it from a 20 minute episode of a cartoon. And then so the first time I saw the original film was about five years ago. It was in my freshman year of university in a film class. And they showed us Psycho. And then a week later, a day later, we then watched the uh, the, the remake of Psycho. And um, it was a very big class. So it wasn't like we got to have an in-depth discussion about the differences and, and the merit of the film. But I remember uh, really liking both um, pretty much equally, in fact. And I haven't seen either since. So uh, this was my first revisiting the remake. And so now I've seen the remake one more time than I've seen the original. Uh, Yeah, my relationship is functionally the exact same, except I haven't seen South Park. So I didn't get any of it there. But it's one of those things that you just get by virtue of cultural osmosis. And then, yeah, in that same first year university film studies class i saw the original psycho and a week later i saw the remake um i remember having more of an in-depth discussion about it because we had like discussion groups after but yeah the the setting for viewing it was more like you know being in a theater and then we kind of got lectured on it after and i remember again same as you really liking both and now i have also seen the remake twice and i've seen the original fully once which might sound insane to some people i wouldn't be super surprised if people found that to be similarly like cinephile sacrilege as not being super up and up on our like exorcist history but i mean you know we're coming at it from different places black and white movies are lame you heard it here first (laughs) put it on the dvd case of the remake of psycho Black and white movies are lame. I thought you were going to say one. put it on the back of the box of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy it our podcast in stores. And the poll quote is, black and white movies are lame. Podcasts are cooler. 
And that's this why we don't color. we don't watch any on this show. We only watch color movies. Sorry, everybody, if you really wanted us to watch, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Human Human Centipede Two. Is that a black and white movie? Yeah, man. I was trying to think of a black and white movie that we might watch because most franchises are like you know post nineteen seventy, and uh, that's the first one that came to mind. I don't know what else we'd get to other than that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's something. Well, I'm sure there's some recommendations like, of yeah, black and white. Recommend black and white everybody. movies for us that we won't watch because black and white movies yeah. are bad. Yeah. Do we have to say that we're joking? Like, are we going to get an angry email or is it clear that we're joking? Uh, well, I'm okay with getting an angry email. We're joking, everybody. Relax, okay? Um, and, you know, to kind of just dive straight into it, I mean, you let's know. Let's just jump right into let's it. Let's just jump right into it. <laughs> uh, it's psycho, right? Like, what else do you want me to say? You know, <laughs> like, ac- is, uh... like actually, so like 1960, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock blows everybody's minds because Psycho is a like utterly fantastic piece of filmmaking with one of the best and still most effective twists I can remember. And all the performances are great. It's incredibly well constructed. And if you love that, this is more or less that. I don't want to make a judgment as to whether or not it's better or worse because despite being a shot for shot remake it still feels like a very different thing so it's almost not even worth the direct comparison as like ironic as that might seem but yeah well what do you what do you mean it's a very different thing it just feels different and it i don't know i well, it's in color. That's exciting. Yeah, well, I guess before we actually get into it, I guess now is a hell of a time to be talking specifically about this and like a shot-for-shot remake of something iconic with some sort of major change to it. I guess in this case, it would be it's 38 years into the future and it's color and, you know, cast is obviously going to be different. But similarly, you're getting remakes now that is like just Disney going hog wild with we're going to make the same movie again. It's going to be basically the same, uh, like Lion King which came out recently where it's like, it's effectively the same thing, but we animated it. So it looked real, but everything else is the same, but it feels like a very different movie. I think that's, that's what I most respect about the approach to this movie is that they were upfront from the very beginning. um, From what I understand that this was going to be a shot for shot remake. And and that's really what Gus Van Sant wanted to do. Whereas a lot of remakes we're seeing today are very similar. Um, they don't change a whole lot, and yet people go to see them, and then they're upset that it's basically the same movie. And then people, you know, people are so upset at Gus Van Sant for doing a shot-for-shot remake when it's really it's not that novel of an idea. We see it all the time. Yeah, and I mean, even just remakes in general, it's like it's something that feels so pervasive now, but it never really it hasn't gone anywhere. I think I don't know how much more common shot-for-shot remakes are, but things get remade and have gotten remade all the time if you want to think about how many planet of the apes movies there are and how many like the things there are because there's three of them now and it's like you know the blob got a remake these things get remakes like it's just it's been a thing i think that the thing that makes psycho feel different is probably that they were so upfront about we're making the same movie we're doing it again not we're gonna reimagine it we're not gonna put a cool spin on it right like Mm -hmm. this is psycho and this is an experiment just to see 
how that goes. And there's something compelling about doing that. There's something to be said for putting your own sort of authorial stamp on something that's really iconic and seeing how it plays differently. In the end, I mean, we'll talk it through whether or not it's a valuable experiment. I think it is. But I could understand people seeing this and being like, well, what the fuck was, why did we do that? Yeah, that well, that's really the question I wrestle with the most on this podcast, right? Is just when it comes to sequels and remakes, you just, you got to wonder why, you know, why does this exist? Does it have reason to exist? And um, I think in the case of this movie, it's kind of like, I kind of feel like someone had to do it, right? Like someone had to try. I know we had remakes before this, but um, I think it is really bold to remake such a classic film and to then remake it shot for shot just to see, you know, how it turns out and if that same magic can be captured. I think I think it's a really cool experiment. I think um, it was probably pretty cheap to make. And I, I, I think this one is worthwhile. Yeah. And, you know, we may as well get into it here properly and introduce what Psycho is functionally for anybody who hasn't seen it is unfamiliar it is worth noting that, at least on Wikipedia, it says that this remake was made for an audience of people who had seen the original. Like, this wasn't meant to be a reintroduction to that. Oh, I think okay. it's worth carrying that in our minds. But the plot, as we have it here, is we're focused on Marion Crane, who is played by Janet Lee in the original and is played by Anne Hesch here. And she is in a relationship with a man named Samuel Loomis, who is played by Vigo Mortensen here. And... He's in a lot of debt that he's trying to get out from under from. It seems like they're doing this kind of discreetly in the opening shots. We see them in what's like meant to be like a scummy hotel, kind of having it almost like down and dirty affair style. And when she returns to work, there is a man there to buy a building four hundred thousand dollars cash. And she is tasked with taking that to the bank. She steals it and wants to drive away to meet up with her boyfriend and sort of start a new life, pay off the debts, get everything sorted. And on her way there, she stops at the Bates Motel, which is run by Vince Vaughn's Norman Bates, who is Anthony Perkins in the original film. And while there, they have their interactions. She just wants to get a night of rest before continuing. Through their talking, she kind of has a change of heart. And you think, okay, when she gets up, she's going to return to Phoenix, where she's originally from. They're in California now. And, um get the money back and try to make right on what she did here. And before she can do that, she is murdered in one of the most iconic scenes in the history of cinema by someone seemingly Norman. We don't really know. It's a very, you know, confusing thing. It turns the movie completely on its head. And from there, the plot shifts to Lila Crane, who is played by Julianne Moore here, the sister of Marion Crane, a private detective, Arbogast here played by William H. Macy, Samuel Loomis, and they're trying to figure out, excuse me, they're trying to figure out what happened to Marion, what happened to the money, how is Norman implicated in this, and um, it kind of just goes from there. I won't bother getting into the twist right now. We may as well make that a reveal. That's how it works best. Uh, so if you're lucky enough to be listening to this and not know where this is going, uh, strap in. But... Uh, <laughs> um, can you imagine if someone could you imagine if we were the people <laughs> to exactly. give somebody that, that for the first life, time not knowing the twist and then they're like okay i'm ready i want <laughs> you guys to be the vehicle to deliver it well you know to anyone listening who that 
is true for we hope that we uh we do it justice there's there's got to be people in the world who think black and white movies are lame there are other people in the world who think vince vaughn movies are lame and so where those circles overlap there's a venn are, diagram in the middle we're in the middle in nobody the middle watches is, black and white or vince vaughn yes and so that means that they've seen neither psycho film and so some of those people might be a fan of our podcast and uh we're gonna we're gonna have it pay off for you guys hopefully that would be good i think and i also think it's worth mentioning that you know we'll try our best to not make this one of a billion existing how does this compare to the original but that's at a certain point that's just going to be what we're doing because it's going to be difficult not to it's a shot for shot remake of like a very iconic movie um but we'll try to keep it from not being too inside baseball with that so you don't necessarily need that touchstone but with all of that out of the way down to brass tacks liam upon rewatching, which is new for us on this show what do you think of gus van sant's psycho dude i think this movie is a blast i think um the story holds up super well i think it's it's still just a, it's a captivating detective story murder mystery I think all the performances are good, especially Vince Vaughn. Um, he's one of those guys who I've just, I've really always liked his his face. And so, um, and, I, and I like seeing him in a dramatic role. Um, I've always had it in my mind that he'd be able to pull off drama. And so when I learned that um, he was playing Norman in, in the remake of Psycho, um, I, w- I was quite excited. I didn't think it was a goof at all. I thought that he could totally do it. And I think he pulls it off. Um, and he's done a lot of great dramatic roles since. And so I, th- I think he's a great actor. I think William H. Macy is is giving a really uh, compelling depiction of a of a private uh, investigator. I've, I've been watching a lot of like interrogation videos online lately where what a um, completely normal thing to say where you know? interrogators are, you know, are grilling these people and trying to be polite to them but also trying to get to the bottom of stuff and so i totally saw that in the scene where he's talking to norman um in the office and outside the office and and norman's kind of trying to get him to go away but also doing a really poor job at covering his tracks um and so that was that was all good i thought i thought the kill scenes uh, looked great the adherence to the sort of old hollywood style you can see it when um when Marion is driving in the car and you can see it when William H. Macy is pushed down the stairs. I think all of that stuff has a really cool charm to it. I think the, I think the twist is is depicted well. You know, it's uh it's revealed in a in a really interesting way. I don't think the movie shows its hand too early despite knowing that people are going into it knowing the twist. Again, I just I just respect that the movie truly is just a retelling of a great story. Um with with different actors i think that's totally worth it you know it's it's just like a it's like a play you go to see a different production and really the only change are the only changes are different actors in the roles but it, it's still nice to see and so yeah dude i just i, I totally think this is uh this is a this is a worthwhile movie I, I really like it yeah i think the theater analogy is a really helpful one to use and it feels almost more like an adaptation of something like a shakespeare play uh which for some reason the parallel, which would be, you know, a shot-for-shot shot remake of a movie, is less common, but I think they do serve a similar function, and I think uh, I think this one, yeah, it's generally pretty successful. I think that the places where it struggles the most are trying to adapt to its time period. You know, it's 
1998. The original is 1960, so you're already grappling with things that may seem anachronistic or because you're such a dedicated remake, things that things that um, are going to seem out of place that you added. And I think the movie struggles with that in several spots. But generally speaking, for something that could have been a travesty, frankly, I think most of it plays off really, really well. And I do think that one of the high points is Vince Vaughn's performance and we see a different actor here than the one that you see in like dodgeball or something, obviously, but there's something also I think, performance. yeah, for different reasons. Uh, but yeah. I think there's something really great, but different about him in this movie. And I think that's true of a lot of it. I think Julianne Moore is really great and feels different. Feels like she made an effort to sort of update that character in a way that's a less passive. And there's a lot to like, I do think that not all the performances are great. I think William H. Macy's great because he feels kind of corny to me. Like he's playing up the 50s, 60s detective guy, but it's 1998. And also, I don't love Vigo Mortensen pretty much at all. Uh, yeah, that's fair, dude. I, I felt the same way. I didn't realize it was Vigo Mortensen. I, I could recognize his face, um, but I couldn't pin it down exactly. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's super memorable, but... I just think he's I don't not remember. well cast because he's able to be really imposing when you need him to be, and the character's mostly pretty passive and quiet, and his accent feels strange and it just kind of doesn't play weird or rather it does play weird. It feels like he's just kind of there drawling his way through the thing. Yeah. Yeah. The way he's giving his performance, I almost expect him to be the bad guy. Like that's going to be the twist, which I think is unfortunate. Cause I don't think this movie needs a red herring like that. And I don't think that's what they, they were intending, but that's the way he comes across to me. Yeah. And you know, I think, Usually we structure the way we talk about movies like, you know, we're going to start at the beginning and go to the end, just take things as they came up. I almost want to do this more like we'll take it change by change almost because I think that we can look at it in terms of what feels different in terms of how it's presented, you know, like being in color and all that. And also in terms of how how it works thematically and how the changes feel there and kind of take it more in broader strokes like that, if that's if that sounds good to you. That does sound good, though I think it is interesting that um, just a few minutes ago you said, you know, we're going to try to not yeah. just talk about the differences uh, in between the movies. And I'm not I'm not calling you out. I just no. think, I think well, it's totally valid. I think because, I just um, realized that that's going to be almost impossible to do. You know, that was originally what we th- figured was smart, right? Like, we didn't rewatch the original Psycho before we watched this. But as we've sort of started talking about it, I've realized that everything that I want to discuss is the ways the remake functions well or doesn't based on what's different about it. So we kind of don't have any choice. Our hands are almost tied because I don't know how you talk about the way it's using color without that being in contrast to the fact that the original is not in color, right? Things like that. Yeah, dude. And even if you say, um, I like uh, the way that the shower scene is shot, you know, obviously I like the way the shower scene is shot. Then it just becomes, oh, well, Uh, That's just the way it was shot in the original. And then you get into the problem of, you know, when we watched Nightmare on Elm Street and there were these few sequences that you really liked and you say, but I guess those are those are from the original. And so uh, it doesn't really mean a lot for this movie. And so it becomes a question of is it still 
worthwhile that these scenes are just recreated well again and if we're going to separate it from the original movie then okay this is this is a lot of fun but because the filmmakers weren't trying to separate it from that original movie you know they didn't they didn't want this to be a reintroduction or they didn't want this to be an introduction to people who hadn't seen the original it, it almost it, it really is sort of impossible to talk about one without the other it's a, it's a really perplexing case isn't it yeah and i'm sure that's how it felt i imagine when the movie was announced when news broke like yo gus van sant um who i guess it's worth mentioning is a filmmaker that i'm not familiar with pretty much at all like i've heard of his films but i haven't i don't think i've seen anything other than this and it's probably worth asking really quick like have you seen other van sant yeah, he has two movies that I like a lot called Elephant and Jerry, and they're both fairly experimental. Jerry is just about two guys, Matt Damon and Casey Affleck, and they get lost in the desert and nothing really happens. They're just sort of wandering around for an hour and a half and the heat is beating on them. And uh, there's a lot of really, really long takes and wide shots. And that's the movie. An Elephant is a movie about two kids who go on to commit a school shooting. But again, there's not a lot of frills in that movie. It's um, shot very plainly and simply. So he's uh, he's definitely a director that that I'm interested in and, and one who, who seems to like exploring things that haven't necessarily been explored before. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to take that as a cue to just dive into the stuff that I wanted to talk about in terms of themes, because you kind of teed me up here with the exploring things that hadn't really been before, because I think one of the biggest things this movie does fairly explicitly in a couple small, but really palpable moments is really cranks up the sexuality of this movie. Yes. Yes. Which is, and um, it all sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I should mention really quickly that, um, I've done quite a lot of reading on the guy. Cause I, I wrote a couple papers on him and though I haven't seen his other movies where sexuality is a, is a large theme and is explicit. I know that that is a big cornerstone of his movies. He's a he's a gay man, and um, a lot of his films have a lot of overt uh, sexuality and um, deal with um, topics of I think homosexuality specifically. But but there might be there might be other stuff in there too. But uh, but I know that that is that is uh, that is something he works with a lot. Yeah, and here you know the thing that I'm thinking specifically of is the moment when. Marion has gone back to her room and they're done chatting in the parlor and Norman has like his peephole on the wall into cabin one. And, you know, in the original, he just kind of looks and stares and that's creepy and unsettling for its own reasons. It's also carried differently. There's something different just about like Anthony Perkins face and the way he's doing it. But here, um, Vince Vaughn's Norman takes the painting off and has people and is just masturbating on the other side of the wall and there's some additions like that that sort of veer more towards making the sexual subtext text that i think are unnecessary i don't want to say pointless because pointless feels unfair if that's something that he wanted to make with this remake of the film then that's valid but i don't know what purpose it's serving and i don't know how like that hits you at all but that was one of the big things where i was like i don't know why this is here yeah it's the change that i remembered most that and the few shots you get when people are being murdered the sort of surreal shots those, those are the differences that i remembered about this film 
And I'm kind of, I'm with you that I don't quite understand why we need to put that in the forefront. But I also don't think I would be questioning the masturbation aspect if I hadn't seen the original. Do you know what I mean? Sure. But I think um, the problem is we have to, like we sort of said, we're originally we were going to try not, but it's like you have to take it in conversation with that. And you could argue that maybe that's something that Hitchcock would have put in there if it wasn't 1960. But like, I'm not convinced that that's necessarily the case. And I'm certainly there's a lot of like very overt examples of Norman's uncomfortable speaking with women, women he would find attractive. Uh, his mother got into a relationship with a man and that was promiscuous and Norman didn't like that. And that's why that goes the way it goes. So there's things here. There's a point in this version where uh, Lila is looking around Norman's room and finds like a porn magazine, basically just has a bunch of like nudity in it. Yep. That's what those are. Glad I explained what that is. (laughs) So it really lays on the like sexual, I don't even know what to describe it as like that angle of the movie might be the easiest way to put it, but I don't know if it needs to be there as an explanatory reason for why, norman would do what he's doing and i think making it more overt feels more like updating it for 1998 than it does for doing anything with the movie because it also you know is more violent like more explicitly violent like there's more blood in that shower scene and things like that it is really peculiar because like you said we know that the sexuality isn't as explicit in the original film and van stan that knows that we know that it's not right right and so it's peculiar because this is so clearly trying to be a shot for shot remake and so any disparity between the original movie and this movie is going to be so obvious right we're, we're going to take note of it and so what is there to talk about in this film besides those huge differences the masturbation and the pornographic magazines and so if if he's making these such deliberate distinctions from the original movie, then then I want it to be obvious to me why that's there. And in this case, it's it's just not obvious to me. It's it it doesn't it certainly doesn't seem inconsistent with Norman's character, nothing like that. But it's just um when everything else in the movie is so similar and this is so clearly different it, it almost takes me out of the film more than it does put me into it and again i i don't think i would feel that way had i seen this movie first or you know just if i hadn't seen the original but it's it's really impossible to think that way yeah and those changes really are felt because the blueprint he's working with is so strong that deviations are going to be the first thing to get put under scrutiny right so Mm -hmm. i think it's natural that we're immediately kind of skeptical of that kind of change and wondering what the purpose of it is largely because it does feel like it's making that part more overt but it doesn't feel like it really changes how you read the circumstances by the time the movie's over so it's just kind of there and i don't really know what to do with that other than i know as a person viewing the movie I just kind of find it distracting more than anything. And that's going to be hard when you're working with, you know, a remake and all of that. Well, and I can understand why there was backlash when this came out, because people think, okay, it's pointless that this is a shot for shot remake. Okay, I get that. 
But a lot of the criticisms I've heard of in this movie are, oh, you know, there's a shot of a calf in the road when when uh, the detective is getting stabbed. What is what is Gus Van Sant doing? What's up with that? Oh, Norman Bates masturbates. What what is up with that? And so it's almost like people would have been less angry at this movie had it just been a shot for shot remake. Had it had it adhered entirely mm. to that to that landscape but 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 it feels like gus van sant is sort of he's like in the middle where where it's it's so clearly a remake of the original film but then there are these slight differences and normally a remake goes to the other end of the spectrum where the differences are what makes it necessary and so it's almost like he wanted to have his cake and eat it too and so i do think that the differences between this and the original movie are are honestly the movie's biggest drawback even though I don't inherently dislike them. You know, I think I think the shots of surrealism while these murders are happening are really interesting. And if this were an original film, I think that I would think that that's really cool and I would be thinking about what they mean. But now, you know, I'm doing that. I'm thinking about what they mean and it just it ends up being more frustrating than anything. You know, I kind of like to be said there. I don't know why this was the first thing that came to mind. But if you look at a different remake, the one that came to mind was RoboCop, like the 2014 RoboCop. That makes itself necessary by virtue of changing and updating the target of the satire. The thing that I remember really clearly is I'm pretty sure it's Samuel L. Jackson plays this like news anchor on this like weird rah-rah patriotism bullshit Fox News-esque like channel that's championing both robocop and also like the ed 209 stuff and all of that and michael keaton's like executive guy is way more just like into it for that kind of like it's cool and like we're fixing the world angle because we're america and that's like a worthwhile way to update that from the 80s right because you know things change whereas here it is a little bit harder to scrutinize why it is that those changes are there simply because that such an amount of time has passed but i do think it's interesting that we're pretty much on the same page whereas if we don't really love those sort of textual changes or subtextual changes that we really like a lot of what it did presentation wise and by that i sort of mean like the updates to the performances and the way it uses the color and stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll at least lead in by saying that pretty much every performance feels right to me and they feel that way because they feel different and there's value in that difference. And I, we may as well talk about Norman first. I think Vince Vaughn does something interesting because there's just something about him that feels a more immediately imposing and weird and off-putting when you look at him and there's something in the way he's talking and the way he's giggling after some stuff there's the weird sort of juxtaposition because there's an innocence to like he won't say bathroom like he's showing her the cabin and he just sort of awkwardly points to it and doesn't say this is the bathroom because he doesn't want to say bathroom in front of a woman i guess and that feels weird and but in like an innocent naive childish way one that would jive with a dude having a weird relationship with his mother but then there's other stuff where he just goes off on tangents and gets upset and just there's something in the way that he's talking that feels weird because it's off-putting and it, it's uncomfortable in a different way than Anthony Perkins is uncomfortable because at least in my memory something about the way Anthony Perkins does the role is that it's a lot more self-assured or at least he feels more comfortable in his own skin and here Vince Vaughn does not at all feel that way it feels like somebody who's very actively torn 
between things and struggling to deal with those feelings. I find that really, really compelling. And his inability to kind of keep the plot going really does something interesting with, you know, that childlike innocence angle that is just, you know, someone who's over their head and doesn't know what they're doing and feigns innocence, but also just like a genuinely off-putting and aware person doing this because they think it's the right thing to do. I think that's a really good way to put it, that Vince Vaughn doesn't at all feel comfortable in his own skin and with what he's doing. Um, and I'm going to say that in my memory, watching both films back to back and now once again seeing Vince Vaughn's performance, to me, this is this is the better performance between Vince Vaughn and Anthony Perkins. When I think of Norman Bates, I, I actually think of Vince Vaughn. I'm not thinking of Anthony Perkins, which I totally... Sorry, I, Freddie I, Highmore, we're not thinking of you either. Oh, I'm totally not. Th- oh, <laughs> I Dude, guess we had no, to mention honestly, that. Do we need to talk about Bates Motel? I haven't seen it. <laughs> no, no, we don't, dude. Honestly, dude, just thinking of Freddie Highmore's face, it like makes me seethe. I can't think <laughs> of an actor I like less. Wow. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if we're if we're doing uh Norman Bates uh power ranking, it goes Vince Vaughn at the top, Anthony Perkins below, and then eight uh, blank spaces, and then Freddie Highmore. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Um, but no, I, I just I really I really like Vince Vaughn. Um, I like his I like the giggle he does. I like how he seems so insecure. I really love the scene where he's talking to William H Macy outside, and it's just he's he's trying to cover his tracks, but he's just he's so bad at it. He's absolutely not the perfect criminal. And I've seen so many horror movies where um, the villain is is charming and he's, he's you know he's able to get a- away with things, but then you know he has this one Achilles heel that is something like uh, the twist turns out to be that is his downfall. You know, some sort of mental illness. But in this case, I, I totally get the impression that Norman Bates is just so vulnerable and totally at the mercy of this uh, mental illness that he has. And I, I totally, I totally think Vince Vaughn conveys that, and I think it comes across super well. Again, I just like his face, and so so I'm partial to his face and his physicality. I love when he's eating the candy when the private detective arrives and he offers him some candy and he's kind of flamboyant and he has this uh this tight long sleeve shirt on and he's but he also looks about. jacked like he looks he, well yes he, right you're right it's it's a really cool contrast um and so I think that despite being jacked he's he's able to convey this sort of um, well Vigo Mortensen of... later is way more intimidating than Vince Vaughn is and he's like four inches shorter than him like exactly exactly and so i really think that just comes through in in vince vaughn's performance and um i'm not gonna say anything that anthony perkins does or doesn't that i don't like because again it's been so long and seeing the performance i totally liked everything anthony perkins did i I have nothing to pick apart but it's just i I really like what vince vaughn does and i think he's great in this role i think i think the movie is honestly worth it just to see him playing that part and also that flea is in this movie i think that makes the movie worth i only noticed that this time maybe it's because i'm not a huge like red hot chili peppers fan not because i think they're bad but because i'm unfamiliar but i guess i must have seen his face recently and then this came out i'm like oh that's definitely who that is yeah let's just go through this then let's go let's go performance by performance of the big three basically which i would say leaves us with marion and lila for the most part um and hesh is 
I don't I I almost said worse. I don't think worse is fair because it's different, but it's not as good. <laughs> it's definitely not as good. Well, I can't say the same that I say for Vince Vaughn, where when I think of Marion Crane, I think of Anne Hesch. I, I totally think of uh, Janet Lee and, and, and the way she looks and, you know, her face in the shower and, and, and all that stuff. Um, but I can't remember the specifics of her performance super well. But just, just the fact that um, she's what stuck with me and not Anne Hesch tells me that, you know, I prefer Janet Lee. But, but watching this movie, I... Um, I liked Marion's uh, snip, snippiness, snippishness. She's snippy. Yeah. And she has this sort of uh, can-do attitude, and she's just bossing people around. And um, and I thought I thought she totally conveyed that well. In contrast and, to uh, Norman, she's very comfortable with what she's doing until she's absolutely. not. Yeah. Like she's paranoid, and I think when you have you know the voiceover playing of her thinking about people realizing what she's up to she looks genuinely concerned but then she gets like a wry smile on her face and it's like nah i got this shit let's go mm -hmm. the only point where you like the thing that changes her mind is her conversation with norman that really just puts her off the whole thing and she decides that she's gonna go back to phoenix instead of on further into uh to fairvale i don't dislike it at all i think it's fine i think that she's able to do a lot with like small changes in her face that get a lot across doing very little for some reason i remember like when she's buying a car or trying to trade in her car i remember that really well of her just like really trying to rush this thing along like nah, i'm good let's go like come on car now dude go um even still there's just something about it that lacks the sort of iconic quality that janet lee brings to it whereas i feel that that's something that vince vaughn is able to bring to norman that i think anthony perkins also does but they're just different enough that it tracks and i think in the same way i think i really like julianne moore as uh lila the sister to marion crane is the one who's kind of um on the case she is the character that is the most hurt by trying to update the movie because she is forced to deliver the worst line you possibly could have put in here uh which is let me get my walkman because apparently that was urgent you know we're on our way to uh to the motel we're gonna try to find your potentially dead or missing sister and four hundred thousand dollars but first what i need is my walkman yeah okay sure let me grab my uh pog collection really quick yeah dude fuck it's the worst it's the dumbest shit in the world but her Lila feels way more active and like her own person and doesn't really take Sam Loomis's passive bullshit. Who's just like, oh, we can just wait. We can do whatever. But she's like very aggressively kind of tracking. No, I want to figure this out. Like, and it's in small things where it's like they're trying to pretend to be a married couple when they go see Norman and like she won't let him like put his arm around her, which I think is funny. But also she's just more self-assured and like yeah i'm gonna go do this thing and this is what's happening they set up that she works at like a hardcore music place which i i can't tell if that's just to set her up in contrast to her sister who wears a lot of like very bright colored floral patterned girly stuff and they're trying to be like and her sister's the the bad one but uh that's cool i like it a lot i think she's really good julianne Moore's cool you know <laughs> no, I, th I think she's great, too. She's an actress I love. I've seen her in a lot of other stuff, and I love her. And um, I think she's she's doing great work here, I think. Call us. Um, Call us, Julian. <laughs> I think uh, 
I think what you're saying is totally true that that she she feels very active and um I imagine she's saying a lot of the same lines that the actress in the original did but I think what she's doing here makes her very memorable you know I remembered that she was in this movie I don't remember the actress uh from the original I felt film. bad cuz I couldn't remember her name either it's Vera Miles I had to look it up but that's who plays that uh, I, I I mean I couldn't even tell you what she looks like you know I, I don't I, I I've lost it but Julianne Moore stuck with me and I don't think that's just because I was familiar with her um I don't even know if I was familiar with her before I saw this movie all those years ago I, ju I just think she's she's a presence and um my favorite moment uh that she is a part of is is when she winks at Vin Vince Vaughn yeah and when they arrive at the hotel and, and he winks back at her I just think I think that's totally cool I think that's the the, the two most impressive uh actors in the movie sort of uh getting a moment what up to each other getting a moment i thought that was totally sweet i love that i don't know if it's in the original but uh you know i don't i don't really i don't remember it, it being so well but yeah it might be i don't know i think you know she's the most updated character right like in terms of making things more timely and i think that that may as well segue us into discussing how things are presented and what those changes are because i think that speaks to both like the movie's use of color but the place i want to start is the things they change to try to make it more timely like the walkman thing which i think sucks and is the worst but there's also just i think it's almost not things that they change to try to make it more timely it's the fact that they're they're stuck with a script that was written 38 years prior and some of the dialogue is still just incredible like the confrontation with Marion and Norman where they're having that back and forth and it's like we all go a little mad sometimes you know sometimes once is enough blah 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 there's a lot of really killer pieces of dialogue in there even little things that I didn't notice when Marion realizes how close she actually was to town she's only 15 miles away but she stays anyway and that's sort of a big moment for that but at other moments there's pieces of dialogue that don't work anymore because the movie carries a lot of circa 1960s attitudes on relationships and like gender dynamics and sexuality that just carry through by virtue of being a direct remake and the line that stuck out to me is the most one of the most egregious examples of that besides the walkman thing is when norman is with arbogast who is william h macy's private investigator and he's like oh do you let like a woman take advantage of you and then norman gets really defensive and he says quote it's not a slur on your manhood and i'm like people don't talk like that anymore <laughs> like that doesn't work here and there's other bits where there's just little pieces of dialogue that really don't jive with that updated setting that i mean you know there's only so much you can do about that if if they were going to bother fixing those then you may as well write a new script for the movie but i don't know if anything stick out to you that for whether it's a change or a holdover that didn't work or did most of it seem pretty seamless for you no a lot of it was really seamless um honestly if it weren't for the walkman i pretty much would have believed that this were a period piece i i understand that there are other things in there that make it otherwise but it's just the story feels so timeless to me and and it's so simple that you know she's just she's stealing money she ends up at this motel people look for her that that's really most of what i'm paying attention to 
and the themes of Norman's manhood being attacked and his anxieties around women, I think that those still totally hold up, especially in the lines where he's... um, He's, he's being explicit about that just because he's such a he's such an uncomfortable guy, you know, in his own skin, like you said. And he's he's been living alone on this motel for so long, you know, in this in this big house. And so I totally feel like he's disconnected from the rest of the world. And so whereas Julianne Moore is, like you said, very modernized and active, I think then it becomes really interesting when she shows up at the motel because we have someone that's been so insulated and um, is sort of, you know, still in 1960. He, he hasn't changed all that much except, you know, discovering what masturbation is. Whereas <laughs> Ju- Julianne Moore is, um, she's, she's, she feels like a city girl and she's able to get what she wants and, and she's able to use a Walkman. And so when we get, when we get lines that, um, you know, one that stuck out to me that Norman said, he says, I'm not capable of being made a fool, especially by a woman that obviously. Yeah, that's right feels... before the manhood line. That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Right? And, and it feels it obviously feels so antiquated, but I think that's why it works so well. I totally think that's something he would say just because he's he's been sequestered with his mother for so long and he's he's totally uh, subordinated by these women. And it, it kind of enlightens why he would commit a murder like this in the first place. Yeah. And I do think that it mostly doesn't work on like a literal dialogue level rather than a thematic level. I think it just sounds old in a way that doesn't do it any favors, but I agree that a lot of it does work. And I do think that one of the biggest changes here that works is the fact that the movie's in color. This movie knew it was going to be in color and it swung for the fences on the colors it was going to use. And I love that. I think, you know, the cinematography angle kind of speaks for itself because, you know, it's shot the same as the original movie. It's, It's great. When the private investigator gets killed and it's that over the head shot, that shot kicks ass the shot when they're looking at the ledger and it's like norman is looking over and it's like a shot of his neck and he's like craning his head to try to read it that shot rules like the way the movie looks visually is still great but it's just punctuated with a ton of really wild color and lighting choices everything's so bright like every color almost feels like with the exception of most of Julianne Moore's wardrobe, there's a lot of like pinks and yellows and reds and greens that are super bright. It's this weird contrast to some of the darkness that's in the movie thematically and visually. And then just these really great pops of color. I think it's great. Yeah, I think it's awesome too. And again, it it honestly feels to me like that makes the movie worth remaking because yes i was joking when i say that you know black and white movies are lame but also i don't think that everything that was made in black and white would be made in black and white if it if it didn't need to be you know if it wasn't easier to do i'm certain that alfred hitchcock had done color movies before psycho he had it was so, in black and white like actively right right right. so i i understand that and, and that's all cool but i do think that this movie really benefits from being in color especially when we already have the black and white version i think there's value in you know taking a black and white photo and putting color into it not to make it better because there there really is something beautiful about the shades of a black and white photo but just because it's sort of invigorating and interesting to see something that you're used to in one way being presented to you in such a bold new fashion and color really does that in this movie and it wasn't actually until the shower scene happened and i was seeing the blood in the shower that 
I made the conscious thought of, oh yeah, this movie is in color and the other one was in black and white. Up until that oh, point, interesting. I, I hadn't even considered it. You know, I knew it to be true, and um, but it wasn't until the shower scene and I saw that blood and I was thinking about the chocolate syrup that they used uh, in the original that I, that I reminded myself, oh right, this one is in color. Cool. I, I think I couldn't help but notice because some of the fashion choices are just off the rails and the color helps bring that to fruition. Like a lot of really bright pink and green and floral stuff. And even like the car salesman is a weird patterned shirt with like a blue and a red. I think that there's missed opportunities to use the color more in like an explicitly symbolic way. Like in the way that, you know, in black and white, like white is good. Black can be evil. Like that surface level kind of symbolic way but i do appreciate that in lieu of doing that they just said we're gonna make like all kinds of shit just like bright green or like the back room where sam loomis lives the walls are bright pink deal with it and i just think yeah. those are fun because i like looking at it i think it's enjoyable whether or not i could have done more with it probably but i mean i really like that and i think it's a good compliment to already standout cinematography to give it like a new angle of color and yeah. it helps make the cleaning up of the murder of Marion feel more clinical almost because that room is so bright white and everything is spotless and the towels are white and everything's white, but it all looked white before, but here it's just so blinding that it makes it feel like you're in a hospital and it gives this great contrast to the blood. And there's moments like that where it just brings something to it that wouldn't have been there before. Absolutely. I, th I think that's a great way to put it, that the color adds a new flair to this great cinematography. Yeah. And, you know, this may as well be a moment where we can segue toward the end of the movie. And I think what we have to say about it by revealing, drum roll, please, the twist of the movie. So as we go on and they search and they dig through the motel and Norman's house and they get in touch with the sheriff and all these folks, basically... Norman claims to be living with his mother, who's invalid and up in the house, and you hear back and forths between them, seemingly, where she's chastising him and giving him all this shit and whatever. And basically, the sheriff reveals that his mother had been dead for, like, a decade and had gotten in with his man, and they had done a murder-suicide. And what you actually realize is that when Lila's, like, sneaking through the house while Norman's in there, um, she goes into the basement and finds the embalmed skeleton of his mother. And Norman comes in, dressed as the mother with the knife from the shower scene, that big reveal still hits really hard and is really effective. And seeing Norman in that stark blue-gray cell in those bright lights, and he's having the thoughts, and it's in his mother's voice, and you hear Vince Vaughn's normal voice under that, trying to break through it, but just can't. He's got this sinister smile, and just everything still really lands in that final moment, which is really one of the most important things that this movie should do is kind of stick on its feet at the end. And as a testament to, I think, how positively we feel about a lot of the differences, it does that and really sort of makes retreading such a well-known but powerful plot valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the whole um, last 10 minutes or so really, really kicks ass when the the skeleton of the mother gets turned around and you see her face and then there's this really unique bass effect that's just oh you know, yeah wah, it wah, sounds wah, wah. great and i thought that was incredible i i i was and blown she, away by she that. hits and the light right and it rocks back and forth and it just like, yeah whoa, dude whoa, whoa, yes whoa. yeah i thought uh, i felt that in the pit of my stomach i thought that was terrifying and vince vaughn looks really scary 
in and scared in, and scared. He, yeah, he looks especially especially when he gets tackled to the ground. Right, he doesn't put up that much of a fight. Oh, he, he doesn't just, know what to do. He's like, it's like yeah. a kid. It's just like, oh, I'm, I'm in over my head. Oh, like, dude, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And and like you said, when he's in the room, I think the white looks blindingly white it's it's very unsettling and i think this movie absolutely sticks the landing yeah and, and, and when it comes to that exposition um it's shortened but it's still it's still it's too still much evident, it still right? shouldn't be there and they should have just taken it out movie, yeah in the original movie like on one hand i feel like it's kind of charming that like okay like this is this is how we're going to reveal the twist it's just it's just going to be spoken through and we're going to get all our information and people are just going to have to have to deal with the ideas that we're putting forward right now and i think that's it's it's a bit endearing just as a as a concept but but i think there's a reason that that's not the way that exposition uh, should be delivered in a movie and when we see that nowadays it it feels you know james bondy it feels lazy and um, when it comes down to it i do think that's the case in the original movie i can remember seeing it that first time and while the appearance of the mother's skeleton blew me away and i you know I, i knew it was coming but still the execution of it blew me away then we got into the exposition as he's explaining it and it's literally as if someone is explaining the twist of psycho to you you know that's what exactly I mean? what it is like and, there's um, a reason they eventually took the narration out of blade runner it's because you don't need the fucking explainer like yeah, movies yeah, don't yeah, need yeah. explainer i think it doesn't i think it's unfortunate in the original and dated and i don't think it works there and um i, I don't think it works great here i like the the actor i like the sheriff um but it, it doesn't really work but luckily we get that last shot of vince vaughn and i think the voice over there absolutely works and um, oh it's great and it's mixed really well yeah yeah and i i still feel like if they were to have ch- changed that um monologue at the end that people would likely be upset just because it's such a you know it's such a memorable component of the original film and i think you're right that maybe the only way to get around it would just be to take it out entirely yeah and then at that point your remake's not quite the thing you set out to do if you wanted to do shot for shot right then you're doing kind of yeah. a different thing so yeah. then it's like then you have to question your whole mission statement or like what the fuck your whole plan was to begin with and then you're getting into like an existential crisis about what remakes mean um exactly so i I get why you don't do that but like as a viewer i'm like yeah i know what's happening here like you don't have to hold my hand yeah and at this point in the movie we've already seen a few changes right so so you might as well go for it yeah but yeah i think you know this movie makes a case for itself by being really good and i think it's got shortcomings but I don't think they're anywhere near enough to keep somebody from looking at this through a different lens, in color, updated, new performances that have new takes on the characters and sort of reevaluating what Psycho means and means to them and how it works in much the same way that you would see three different productions of Macbeth and come away feeling differently about how that works every time. Like, not everyone's going to do the same thing with it, and it's there's value in remixing and re-exploring and updating and making older and doing all those things with it. And I think that's largely how Psycho 1998 is valuable, is just getting a whole new angle on this story and this film while simultaneously adhering as close to it as it could. 
Yeah, and I think it also shows me that when it comes to remakes and sequels, there is no set rule as to how they should be done. Because I, I totally understand people who are frustrated when a remake is announced of, you know, a movie that is maybe 10, 15 years old, and you say, oh, why is this? Why is this coming out? People can just go back and watch the original. You know, Hollywood is so lazy and no one wants to watch movies that are five years old. So it, it is sort of... I, I understand why people don't vibe with this idea, but I think it's 30 some years removed from the original. I think the performances are good. I think the color component is valuable. And I just think it, it shows you that you can't really, at least I can't really come up with a rule of thumb that says this, this is why a sequel or a remake shouldn't exist. I think it really does depend on the movie. I don't know what more we can really say. Like, I think the thing to take away here is that remakes have value and shouldn't necessarily be immediately scoffed at because even if it's adhering really, really closely, there's something to be gained there. Even if it's, you know, a photorealistic Lion King and the lesson we all take away from that is it looks fucking terrible and you took the soul out of it and don't do it anymore. You still learned something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I just, I, th I think good stories are, are worth telling again and um that doesn't mean people have to enjoy them but i think a lot of times it's worth a shot maybe not at the expense of original stories being told and you know then we get into the the whole kerfuffle of where is the money in hollywood going and should it be uh put towards original stories and not things that people are comfortable with and i, and I understand all that but the fact is that 1998 psycho exists we can't change that now and i'm not going to dislike it out of principle you know I, th I think it's totally an enjoyable watch yeah totally and i think that's a good place to sort of draw to a close here so i'd like to say thank you once again for listening to another episode of they made another one you can find us all over the internet on twitter at they made another all one word and on anchor spotify google podcasts at long lasts Apple Podcasts as well, and other services as they made another one. You can reach us via email at they made another one pod at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, thoughts on movies we've talked about previously, and your top five reasons for why black and white movies are all terrible. We'll do our best to respond to everyone who reaches out. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego Graham the Haunted Marshmallow on Twitter and letterboxed at Graham the Mallow. And I am at Mr. Corey Price on Twitter. And as soon as anything else is actually up and running, I will let everybody know. But with that out of the way, we will catch you here next week for more. They made another one. Well, my dog uh, chose uh, to bark uh, at the uh, end, so that's fine. <laughs>